Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> ah, hello there. Delighted to see you've returned to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop once again. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we've got a peculiar item, not something that would seem out of the ordinary on the surface. It is a piece of bunting, uh, a string with triangular flags attached to it. Sometimes the flags are made of paper, some of fabric. This happens to be made of plastic. Bunting usually is used for events, parties, festive gatherings, but most always used to signify the spectacle with which you were about to enter. And we certainly saw a spectacle at the movie theaters this past weekend, so let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at the new Jordan Peele movie, Nope. In Jordan Peele's short directing career, I have quickly, like many, learned that this guy knows how to direct some good genre films, uh, especially horror. This really kind of seems to be his bread and butter. I know he's a huge horror fan, so it only makes sense that he would dive into horror as the type of films that he writes and directs. And, you know, Get Out was great. It took horror and added a lot of social commentary that I think is very important. And then, of course, he did Us, which, again, uh, very, I mean, to me, I thought Us was scarier than Get Out and just a, a frightening film. But then there, again, still had some social commentary. And I think that's one of the things that, that I like about Jordan Peele is because he always has something to say. He doesn't always explicitly tell you what he's saying. He does a lot of times leave things to your imagination, leaves things for you, the audience member, to glean from it what you will. So that's kind of one of the things I like about uh, Jordan Peele's films. Not only are they scary, not only are they good stories, genuinely good stories, but they also have something to say. Uh, some of it is, I think, Sometimes Jordan Peele does have particular things to say, and I think he says them well with his movies. But then again, I also think he says just enough to get your mind moving and to get conversations started. So I, I really like that. I don't like to be preached to in movies, but I do like the movies to say something and, and get me thinking about things. And and that's, I guess, one of the things I love. One of the couple things I really love about Jordan Peele movies is that he does get you thinking and he scares the shit out of you. And that's really what we get with this new movie, Nope, the third in his uh, string of films, and as I said, his, his short directorial career. So we're going to dive right into this movie. I, I do want to warn you, there are going to be spoilers. I'm not going to try, I'm going to try not to give away things too much, but we are going to talk about this movie, and I am going to talk about things that are going to be spoilery. So if you haven't watched Nope, and you don't want it spoiled for you, I suggest that you hit stop now, hit pause now, come back after you've watched the movie. If spoilers don't bother you, then keep on uh, listening. If you've seen the movie, then uh, we're going to commence with uh, discussing this new Jordan Peele movie, Nope. Now, Nope is about a family of horse trainers. They are the only black-owned horse training ranch in Hollywood. 
It's one of those things where they've been doing it for generations. And when this all starts out, we get to meet uh, two of the main characters. Well, uh, one of the main characters, and as far as the family goes, uh, the patriarch of the family, Otis Haywood, played by the incomparable Keith David. I was so delighted to see him uh, show up on the screen. And because, you know, if you're a horror fan, you love Keith David. Of course, he was in The Thing. They lived. He's done a you know a lot of work with John Carpenter, a lot of work in genre films like uh, Pitch Black and the Chronicles of Riddick films. But he's also done you know other things. He was in there something about Mary. He's got great comedic timing. Does a lot of voice work in TV and films. Was Goliath in the Gargoyles animated series that's going to be seeing a resurgence here in the not too distant future. So uh, this guy is you know when it comes to genre films or just films in general. Keith David is just, for my money, one of the best out there. And to see him show up early in this movie really added a a bit of weight to it, I think. He's not there long, but having a a character actor uh, of Keith David's renown is, you know, it it added some some weight to this movie that I I just think uh, just gave this movie a little something extra. Uh, you sat up a little straighter in your, your movie theater seat. You stopped eating your popcorn or your nachos, which I seem to be my snack of preference while I'm watching a movie. Uh, you put your drink down and you, you're a little more at attention. Okay, things are getting serious here. But we meet Otis Haywood, played by Keith David. You also meet his son, Otis Jr., otherwise known as OJ, played by Daniel Kaluuya, who... Just, you know, a fantastic young actor. Uh, He was so great in Get Out. And to have Jordan Peele bring him back for this movie was so smart because Daniel Kaluuya is an actor that I've quite enjoyed. Of course, liked him in Kick-Ass 2. He's been in Black Panther. Of course, Get Out. He's done some TV as well. He was in an episode of Black Mirror back in 2011. I love the Watership Down uh, limited series that they did. He played the voice of Bluebell in that. Just, a, you know, he's done a lot of work in, in his young career. And just, you know, he's one of those actors that every time I see him, he just keeps getting better and better and is really fun to watch. And he's even fun, like, in real life. He just seems like a, a, a cool guy to hang with. Uh, I watched him on the Hot Ones uh, YouTube show where they eat the hot wings and, you know, they get asked questions. And, and he just, he was so fun to watch. I didn't talk much about Nope or or, or things of that nature, but uh, he was just, just fun to watch him eating these wings and watching him talk to the host and, and interacting. Just seems like a cool guy in general. But we meet Otis Jr. on this horse ranch. And all of a sudden, out of the sky, these, you don't really know what it is at first. You just, I'm, you know, is it hail? Is it rocks? But the ground is being pelted with items at a really high velocity, so much so that it's kicking up dust on this this dirt ground. And then we find out that one of these items has hit Otis Sr. And then we find that he's passed away. And then we also find out that it is a nickel that went through his eye and into his brain and killed him. And the effect, the practical effect of that eye that's kind of split open, uh, the lids are split open. It was it was so disgusting. 
And uh, that's one of the things I liked about this movie is you had so many different elements. You, you didn't have a ton of gore, but what physical body horror there was, was was really good and really gross and really unnerving. But then six months later, we find that Otis Jr., OJ, is running this this horse training ranch and his sister Emerald shows up. Of course, Emerald played by Kiki Palmer. We're going to kind of get into these characters, Emerald and OJ, uh, here in a bit. I just kind of want to set up where we're at with this movie. But there's something wrong with how Otis Sr. died. Uh, OJ has seen things. Um, he, he realizes that it was a nickel that fell from the sky and killed his father. Uh, he noticed uh, keys and, and other things that looked like you know, what fell out of somebody's pocket. They said it was items fell from a plane. That's what they were chalking this up, uh, this anomaly up to in the official investigative reports that the police have done with this. But OJ has seen some things. Things don't seem right. And it doesn't set well with him. He's he's not just willing to take the investigation's word for it. And of course, he starts to see more and more until he realizes there's something in the sky that probably shouldn't be here. And he and Kiki take to trying to capture this on film because the ranch isn't doing well. And and I'll, I'll get into some thoughts that Daniel Kaluuya actually brought up in an interview about how the ranch was run and how it probably could have actually worked out. But uh, he's been on his own and the ranch isn't working out. Uh, They're having to sell off horses to their neighbor, played by Stephen Young. And if they can catch this UFO, and and they make no bounds about it, that it's a UFO right of way. The trailer gives away that it's a UFO. And I was really kind of pissed off about that. I was like, how can you give away the big reveal that it's a UFO in the trailer? But then I realized that wasn't the big reveal. <laughs> and so uh, you've got these these characters trying to capture this uh, this UFO on camera so they can get a big payday, maybe save the ranch. So we're going to kind of talk about this movie through the lens of the characters and what the characters are doing, uh, who they are, and where they take this story. And and I do want to start out with Keith David's character, Otis Haywood Sr., because he's not in the movie much, but you really learn a lot about this guy just in the few minutes you see him on the screen. Because one, he's a very gregarious guy, very charismatic guy. He seems like a friendly guy, a guy that would, you know, anybody could come up and talk to him. And he would just be as friendly as can be. And probably was very charming but also had a good work ethic you know he had even at an older age he was out you know working with the horses he was on a horse when he was killed and that's one of the things that uh, kind of leads to the two siblings that we're going to talk about and how they each inherit a part of him that if they would have worked together this ranch probably wouldn't have been in the dire straits that it was but Right off the bat, you see these things about this character, Otis Haywood Sr., who just did such a fantastic job. Like I said, just add a lot of gravitas to his scene uh, with what little time he had on this movie. Then, of course, there's Otis Haywood Jr., OJ, played by Daniel Kaluuya. And he's the older sibling. He's the one that really kind of uh, dad took him under his wing and wanted him to follow in his footsteps 
and you don't really get it right off the bat or or, or maybe even at all but you, you kind of get a sense that this is a kid that probably always imagined growing up and doing something else but dad wanted him to follow in his footsteps and he felt a responsibility as the older child to follow in dad's footsteps and never really had the opportunity to chase his hopes and dreams and now his dad's gone and he's stuck trying to run this this horse training facility by himself with with no help the sister's off doing whatever she wants and it's very much uh, the relationship between uh, OJ and Emerald is very much like the relationship of the siblings in the parable of the prodigal son. You know, he is the son that stayed home and was responsible and did everything right. And Emerald was the son that uh, took the dad's, you know, his portion of their, his inheritance and went off and partied and had a good time. Uh, and, you know, the the story here isn't exactly like that parable, but the attitude, you know, when the prodigal son comes back home, the older son kind of has the attitude, well, I've been here this whole time. Why is this other sibling uh, getting a party and getting a robe and rings and, and, and just because he came home? It, there was kind of that feeling between these two siblings uh, when Emerald comes back. You know, she's coming back and she doesn't want to help out with any of the job. Uh, she doesn't want to do any real work. It's just left to him. And, and there's a, a bit of resentment there. But we also find that Emerald has a little bit of resentment towards him later on, which, which we'll talk about. But the OG character is, you know, he kind of plays the, the traditional cowboy character. The strong, silent type. Very John Wayne. And I think that kind of leans into some of the things they were trying to say about Hollywood and its portrayal of cowboys. Kind of how you never really got any representation of the, the black cowboy in history. It's always white guys in westerns. And that's just not true to history. There were a lot of black Americans who were cowboys back in the late 1800s. But you never see that in Hollywood. But when we meet uh, Daniel Kaluuya's uh, OJ character, uh, he's very much, like I said, the strong silent type to begin with. And he's very kind of standoffish, a little standoffish with his sister when she comes back. But as the two spend more time together, it's fun to watch him as this character open up more to his sister and start being more of that big brother that that we know he was to this character these are two close siblings and we get to see oj really kind of go from being the standoffish strong silent type to uh, big brother to his kid sister and i thought daniel kaluuya did a really good job but not with not just with the drama of it but but also with you know with horror films if the actor doesn't portray fear in the right way it really doesn't make me feel any fear and one of the things i loved was how daniel kaluuya played the fear of some of these scenes because he was in literally some of the scariest scenes of this movie the one part of the movie where he goes to the barn and there's already this specter of ufos hanging over the story and he's in the barn and it's dark and you can only see shapes 
and not very well. And he looks off into this one section of the barn and all of a sudden you see this figure move out standing upright, a bipedal figure with a, with a large cranium. Uh, looks like the typical shape of an alien and it starts to move towards him and he uh i'm not a big fan of when characters say the name of the movie out loud it just to me feels a little cheap but with nope (laughs) it, it made perfect sense and it is exactly how almost anybody would react in that scene but he's like nope and he starts backing away and moving uh but then he gets his wits about him that he's got to catch this on film uh because that's how they're gonna save this this ranch and he pulls his phone out and you can tell how tech savvy oj is not because he's still got a flip phone but he gets his flip phone out and all of a sudden you see this head slowly come out from behind this this pillar in the barn and it, it's just so creepy and the the fear in OJ's eyes and then to find out that it is the next door neighbor's kids playing a prank on him. I'm not a big fan of fake scares, but that one was particularly good and particularly frightening. Just the way the whole scene was set up and the whole scene was shot. And Daniel Kaluuya's portrayal of fear was so felt so legit. Now, Kiki Palmer's character, Emerald Haywood, she is a character that, it's not that I didn't like her at first, but she comes on the scene and she is the sister that just hasn't been around, but she still helps out from time to time. She's more the face of the, and the voice of their ranch. You've got this scene set up where OJ is with a horse to film a commercial, uh, which we got some really uh, cool cameos. Uh, Donna Mills is in it. Uh, Oz Perkins, Anthony Perkins' son, uh, they're both in it. And, you know, it's a, it's a really interesting setup. But you've got OJ with this horse, and he's supposed to give a spiel about uh, safety. And this is something usually Emerald does, but she shows up late. And then when she comes in she turns on the charm and does this whole spiel that we get in the trailer about the the edward moybridge film it's it's the first time that anyone took a series of pictures and put them together to make a a moving picture and it's a little short of a black jockey on riding a horse and it speaks to one of the themes of the film you know she talks about how you know everybody knows edward moybridge but nobody knows the jockey that was on top of the horse who was essentially the very first film actor was the very first stuntman uh this whole list of first and nobody knows uh this man's name this jockey's name now this movie gives a fictionalized background that the jockey is in fact the great 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 i'm not sure how many greats uh grandfather of oj and emerald but we meet emerald and yeah she does really kind of play the the younger sibling that just kind of comes and goes as they please they don't have any real responsibilities uh they don't really put forth any work ethic they're just there to to lay on the charm and you know get things stirred up and then go off again at at some point and that to me you know when you see a a character like oj who's working so hard to try to keep things afloat and this sibling that 
won't pitch in and just wants to be there when they want to be there and doesn't take anything seriously. That to me was a little annoying. Now, granted, uh, that's not a reflection on Kiki Palmer. I thought Kiki Palmer did a great job with this character because you really had, I mean, OJ doesn't have much of a character arc. You know, he's the same from the beginning to the end, I think. But I think the Emerald character is the character that really gets an arc because she starts off as just kind of flitting around and just doing whatever, whatever she wants. And like I said, no responsibilities to a real self-sacrificing person by the end of it that's willing to make the hard choice, to make the hard decision, to do the hard thing, to do the selfless thing and put others ahead of herself and then we'll talk about that when we get to the big climax but i thought kiki palmer did such a really good job with this character because she has such a natural effervescence about her as a person i think because i've seen a lot of interviews with her and she just seems like uh, just a, a wonderful person to be around uh, a fun person to be around an excited person to be around she's really seems very introspective but she also seems like she she's taken in you know this from this person and this from that and she's really the kind of person that's or seems like the kind of person that just takes in everyone's experiences and like i said just has an effervescence about her in this portrayal of this character emerald that uh is just infectious and she was probably one of the most charismatic actors on the screen and and really a standout i, I think all the actors did a fantastic job but she just really stood out because that character and her portrayal of that character really allowed her to stand out and she did uh, a great job with this this character that had you know had to become something this character went from being one person at the beginning to a, a very changed person by the end and it was just fun to watch that ride and of course we learned that she has a little bit of resentment towards the oj character because you know when they were younger she was supposed to start learning how to train horses like her older brother oj and on the day she was supposed to train this horse uh jean jacket i believe was the name which kind of comes back later in the story uh she looks out the window and sees that her father couldn't wait for her or, or what have you and he was allowing oj to train this horse and i think that's kind of where she stopped being interested in being a part of this family business and then being a part of training these horses for for hollywood films so we get an idea of why she doesn't really show any real interest in the family business why she doesn't feel any connection to the family business why she doesn't feel any responsibility towards the family business and just kind of has gone off and done her own thing you know she has this laundry list of things she does uh, writing uh, she's an actress she's a, a director she's a, a motorcyclist all these things that she's just trying to get her 15 minutes of fame which again kind of leads into some of the some of the bigger themes of this movie but we get an understanding of why these two siblings are the way they are. OJ is a man of responsibility because if he doesn't do it, who else will? Uh, she is somebody that doesn't take responsibility seriously because uh, when she wanted to take responsibility, nobody took her serious enough to let her 
follow through with that. And so she decided she wasn't going to be responsible. She's just going to do what she wants. And I thought Daniel Kaluuya made a great point in an interview I saw with him. Actually, it was kind of like a round table with him and Jordan Peele and the other cast members. But he said, you know, something occurred to him is that each sibling inherited a part of their father. OJ inherited the responsibility and the work ethic aspect of the father. And Emerald inherited the charisma of the father. And if the two could have just worked together on this horse training ranch, that it probably would have been a lot more successful than than it was. And I thought that was just a, a great bit of realization about the character from from Daniel Kaluuya that uh, that I'm I'm sure probably informed. Uh, some of the things, some of the way he's, he acted, some of the scenes between he and, and Kiki Palmer. Now, Stephen Young is in this. He plays Ricky Park. Uh, they call him Jupe. He's a former child actor, and now he currently owns and runs this carnival-like amusement park uh, called Jupiter's Claim. And they, he's the next-door neighbor. He and his family are the next-door neighbors with the uh, Haywoods. And, of course, Stephen Young, uh, just fantastic actor. Re- loved him uh, when he was on The Walking Dead. And he's done so many things since then. Of course, uh, no stranger to Jordan Peele. He is in the new Twilight Zone. Uh, that Jordan Peele is uh, producing. So, you know, he, Jordan Peele, uh, no stranger to Stephen Young, Stephen Young, no stranger to Jordan Peele. So it only makes sense that uh, that Jordan Peele would uh, tap him for this because he does such a fantastic job as an actor because he plays a reserved, under-the-surface turmoil better than anyone. Like this character, Ricky Park was a child actor. He was in a series called The Kid Sheriff that made him a, a child star. And then he went on to do another series called Gordy's Home uh, that never really got off the ground because of a tragedy that happened during the filming of an episode. And we get that tragedy. I mean, we start off the movie with some of the audio and like a shot of of what happened in this scene. And then later we kind of get revealed to us the whole scene, how it played out in this Gordy's Home episode where this chimpanzee goes berserk uh, because a balloon pops and it freaks the chimp out and the chimp starts attacking people. The older sister gets attacked. The father uh, in the sitcom gets attacked. Uh, we have this scene where uh, little Ricky is underneath this table and this this chimp turns on him and instead of attacking him because Ricky chooses not to look the chimp in the eye, the chimp decides it's not a threat and they do a little fist bump, which the, the whole idea of these wild animals or animals that have been trained but are originally from the wild, the idea of not looking them in the eye uh, lets them know that you're not a threat and... Uh, that that kind of plays throughout the the whole movie. But you have this this kid who went through this horrific tragedy as a child, and now he's grown up and he owns this park. But he also has this office where he has a room full of all this memorabilia from that episode. Even a, a shoe, I think, that had some blood on it. And and people, he usually lets people 
pay to go in and see it, but he's going to show OJ and Emerald, you know, for free because they just sold him a, a valuable horse. And he talks about how he let some Swedish couple they spent like $20,000 or something like that to spend the night in this room with all this Gordy's home memorabilia from this, this ill-fated TV show where a chimp killed people. But you watch him talking about this and and you see him, he's talking about it as if, you know, nothing special happened, but you kind of see that turmoil, that trauma that he experienced underneath the surface. And he just did such a great job with this role and with this character. And it really spoke a lot to some of the one of the one of the big things I think of is people who cash in on trauma whether it's the trauma of others whether it's their own trauma it kind of plays into the whole you know his character plays into the whole spectacle aspect of this movie which we'll talk about some of the themes more in depth uh, a little later on in the episode after we've kind of uh, got done talking about these characters and the, the big climax but you see this character who knows what it's like to work with an animal that can turn on you at the drop of a hat and you would think he would learn a life lesson from that but later on we see that he puts on another sideshow where he's been buying these horses from the haywoods and feeding them essentially to this ufo and this ufo shows up uh, because he's decided he's going to monetize this and feed a horse to this ufo while people watch and he makes the mistake of believing that the ufo trusts him because he's he's fed the horses to this ufo before and he realizes at the last second that uh because he didn't learn the lesson from from the chimp when he was a kid that you don't look it in the eye he's staring right at this ufo and this ufo takes the whole crowd out and it was just such a, a bizarre thing to do for jordan peele as a director because you have this movie that is about a ufo and then to intercut it with this story about the gordy's home rampage uh, just seems so out of place and i don't think i really completely understood it at first, I just thought, well, you know, it was a it was a good tool to use to help create tension, to help create uh, an air of mystery, to help create an uneasiness that that certainly did that. But I, I thought it still felt out of place. But but then when I started thinking about the tragedy and learning from that tragedy and Stephen Young's character of Ricky Park not learning from that tragedy, it's history repeating itself, then I started to realize that this really kind of, it did fit in. History repeating itself. He had that kind of like childlike knowledge of innocence to where all he needed to do was just not look the chimp in the eyes and and the chimp wasn't going to see him as a threat. But as an adult, he felt like, you know, he felt that the UFO trusted him and that, you know, he had things in control. And it's when you think you have things in control that you violently and destructively find out that you have nothing in control as, as he found out. So it, it really did all kind of tie in. And, and I have to say the scenes with the chimp attack were, they didn't show a ton I mean, you didn't see a lot of violence overtly. It was all kind of obscured by something else. But you saw the results of that violence because the 
older sister from the TV show, the actress that played the older sister survived that. And she shows up at the the big spectacle where Ricky Park, uh, he goes by Jupe in this, so I'll probably just call him Jupe from here on out. But uh, Jupe invites her to this big spectacle where he's going to feed this horse to the, the UFO and she's wearing a, a sweatshirt uh, with a picture of her as she was when she was a kid. But she is the one in the trailer where she's wearing the hat with the veil down in front and the, the wind kind of kicks it up and you see she doesn't have any lips and it's just her teeth are exposed. And and that to me was, was kind of an interesting, they don't really come out and say it, but if you've seen anything about chimp attacks, they go for the mouth or the genitals and or, or the fingers. A lot of people get fingers bitten off or their lips bitten off or their junk bitten off by chimps when when they attack and didn't really have to come out and say it but that was something a, a little touch that i thought was interesting now in the trailer they make this character out to be like she's going to be something more important than she really is she really isn't <laughs> she was it was more of a red herring and just added another level of unease to the whole situation but uh and, and it was odd to think that he would bring her in for this but there again uh, the whole idea of profiting off of tragedy, profiting off of trauma. I, I think it plays into that as well. You know, he thought bringing in this this old castmate that's, you know, disfigured because of trauma and, and the character itself, the actress that is showing up to this is trying to profit off of her own trauma. I'm sure she was signing autographs or or had, you know, some 8x10s that she was, you know, autographing uh, after the whole event or something like that. And a couple more quick characters we'll talk about. Uh, there's uh, Brandon Perea plays Angel Torres. He is an electronics, he works at an electronics shop and he helps the uh, the Haywoods kind of set up the security system. And he he understands that something's going on when OJ is constantly wanting him to point the cameras up to the sky. He gets that something's going on and decides that he wants to be a part of it. Uh, he comes across as a kid that's bored with his job, bored with his life, maybe doesn't have a lot of friends or a great family life, doesn't really have anything in his life that he's invested in. And he comes across these siblings, OJ and Emerald, and they're into something cool. So he wants to help them out. And then in a, in a way, almost becomes like a de facto family for him. I, maybe I'm reading a little too much into this, but uh, but he did a great job. The character's not, uh, it's a main character. It's, it's integral to the storytelling, but not very integral to the story. He's there helping them with the tech and helping execute the plan to to get this UFO on film. And then, of course, we see Michael Wincott, who I've always been a fan of his. You know, he was great. I loved him as Top Dollar in The Crow. Of course, The Crow, one of my favorite movies. Uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. He was in that as the, the Sheriff of Nottingham. This is a, a bit of a triumphant return for him because... Uh, he hasn't really done any movies since 2017. He's done some, well. He hasn't even done any TV. I mean, he was in Westworld. Uh, he played the old Bill character in 2016. So yeah, he hasn't even really done any uh, TV since 2017. So it, it was great to see him back uh, in front of the camera 
in Nope and uh, really really played an interesting character. Uh, he is this cinematographer that uh, Emerald knows and she kind of taps him to come up with a way because whenever this UFO shows up and we'll talk about the UFO because that's kind of a character in and of itself. This UFO shows up and all power goes out. So she's tasked him with finding a way to film this without using any electricity. And of course, he comes up with a hand-cranked camera that he can operate. And he shows up to to help the Haywoods and Angel film this UFO. And he really kind of spoke to, I, I think, another one of the themes of this movie. It, it felt kind of like a love letter to the people behind the scenes, the crew and the cinematographers and the people that really put in the blood, sweat and tears. Uh, you see OJ in the in the big climax puts on his he was a part of the uh uh, the Scorpion King crew trained horses for that, and he got a uh, a crew hoodie that he wore for that. It really felt like this movie was kind of a, a tip of the hat to all the crew and all the people behind the scenes that put in their blood, sweat, and tears, the cinematographers that uh, are looking for that perfect shot. And even when they've got the perfect shot, they're willing to put their life on the line to get an even better shot. And and this, this character that Michael Wincott plays, Antlers Holst, is that type of character that's willing to put their life on the line uh, as a cinematographer to get the perfect shot. And then, of course, you have the UFO. Uh, it really was a character in and of itself because this felt like a... Well, yeah, again, like I said, this is full of spoilers, so this is no spoiler. It, it felt like a creature because it was a creature. You start out seeing this UFO behind clouds and this circular shape, kind of a shadow uh, you know, on the other side of the cloud that OJ might be looking at. And it's interesting because there is a cloud that just won't move. And you know that it's this UFO hiding behind it. They surmise that as well. There's an interesting scene where they steal this plastic horse that has a bit of the, the flags, the bunting hanging from it. And this UFO has been trying to eat uh, horses because Jupe has been feeding it horses for, for months now. And it eats this plastic horse and it has this bit of bunting sticking out of it. So the the movie picture where you have that singular cloud in the sky and this bit of bunting hanging out of it is quite literally some of the shots we get to this cloud with bunting hanging out of it. You know, it swallowed the horse, but it didn't swallow all that. But you get a lot of really cool shots to begin with of a little something, you know, a little flash of something that you're not quite sure what you saw. And then the more and more shots of the UFO kind of darting between clouds or, or things like that, you get to see more and more of it until we actually do get to see this UFO come down with this big hole in the middle of it. It's sucking up horses or what have you. And then we find out that what it can't digest, uh, organic matter, uh, it expels out. And, you know, if it sucks up a bunch of people, whatever was in their pockets, coins, keys, pocket knives, what have you, is all going to be ejected out of it. And that was what happened when Otis Sr. Uh, was killed, is that this this UFO ejected all this coins and all this garbage, and it just 
happened to be he caught one of them in the eyeball. But it was really kind of interesting because uh, once we got to the climax of this movie and they really set up this big ornate trap to get this UFO on film, you have this kind of uh, road leading past the, the ranch that they line with those like little wacky waving inflatable guys uh, because they set them up with car batteries. So whenever the alien ship is around, everything loses power so they can tell where it's at and where it's coming from, where it's going to by these inflatable wacky guys deflating, which made for a stunning visual uh, in and of itself. But they've got this set up where OJ is going to ride this horse and hopefully the ufo will chase it and they've got angel and antlers up on this ridge filming it and of course you got kiki at the house watching the security cameras and of course nothing goes as planned and things get effed up and you see this this creature and and like i said they uh, they really made this out to be a an alien spaceship at the beginning but the more we see especially in this climax Every time it opens up to suck things up, like when it's over top of where Angel and Antlers are, are set up, you see the bottom of this ship chains shape a little bit. And we get a bigger and bigger reveal that this isn't an alien spacecraft. This is an alien in and of itself. And, and then at the very end, we get this thing open up fully. And it was such a, a stunning visual to see this ship opened up and this creature because it was it very much had a an aquatic feel to it like some of those uh, fish or jellyfish that you'll see pictures of in the the deepest parts of the open ocean look very alien but very floaty and billowy uh, it almost looked like a cross between that uh, parachutes and it just, like I said, it was just such an interesting design and such an interesting look. And they get the shot that they want, but Angel and Antler's uh, base gets gets attacked. And they don't know if the, the film is destroyed or not. I, we never really find out at the end. Uh, but then we have this situation where you've got this, this alien in between OJ and Emerald. And each is trying to lure the creature their way until finally emerald who who gets on this this electric bike that uh, a tmz guy and there's a there's a little bit with the tmz guy didn't feel like it was quite necessary but it was i think driving home a point of spectacle and profiting off of of trauma but uh something happens to that guy and emerald gets on his bike and essentially takes off towards jupiter's claim and the alien follows her and she gets to jupiter's claim and stops sees this it's almost like one of those inflatable bob's big boy looking inflatable people uh it's quite large and it's supposed to be of the ricky park character when he he played the the kid sheriff and she unattaches this it's all tethered to the ground she untethers it and this thing full of helium floats up into the air and it's right next to this it looks like a wishing well but you put your quarters into it and you turn this crank and it'll eventually take a picture of like you looking down from look it's the view from the bottom of the well up to you looking down the well uh you know novelty for these types of parks uh but she's let this 
uh, inflatable kid sheriff go and is trying to get a picture with this well. She eventually gets the picture as this alien ingests this inflatable kid sheriff full of helium and it explodes and I'm guessing the alien dies because it almost starts to deflate itself or unbillows, if you will. And then we realize she did get the shot. And then OJ shows up the end, letting her know that he sees her and, and, and what she did. And, and we cut the black. So all in all, I thought this was a fantastic movie. I, I really loved a lot of the inspiration for this. I mean, you can tell Jordan Peele drew from a lot of the, uh, a lot of classics when it comes to uh, alien uh, visitation or invasion movies. I mean, I did a an episode here a couple few months back of some of my favorite alien uh, visitation or invasion movies. And if this movie had come out at the time, this probably would have been one of them. But you, you saw a lot of. Close Encounters of the Third Kind in this. You saw a lot of the movie signs in this. Uh, you also saw he, he drew a lot from Jaws with this movie as the, the alien spaceship is kind of the shark, but instead of in the ocean, the sky is is this predator's ocean. And they even talk about it. You know, uh, the Otis Jr. character talks about this flying saucer as a predator and this is its territory and that plays into a lot of uh, if you don't look it in the eye if you don't look at it it won't feel you as a threat and and they use that as a plot point to to play with who's chasing who and and that sort of thing it was it was quite interesting it played a lot into the Stephen Yun jupe character and what he went through with the chimpanzee and a lesson that uh, he should have known, but didn't learn when it ultimately uh, came down to his life and the life of the people uh, that he had in his charge that were what the spectacle that he was putting on. But I really like the idea of this not being a flying saucer, but the flying saucer was actually the alien. It just looked like a, a metal flying saucer. And, and like I said, once you got closer to the, the end and the climax, you got little revelations a little bit of reveal here and there that this is more than just a flying saucer things are changing more and more as it's attacking our heroes and it felt very jaws like in that sense that you have this predator in the ocean that is the sky and and i like how they you know jordan peele ends this similar to jaws where you get this in this tank instead of full of oxygen it's full of helium and it blows up inside the creature and kills it much like uh, you know uh, Roy Scheider shot the uh, the oxygen tank inside Jaws' mouth. So I love that kind of homage to to that great horror film and, and all the other great horror films that, that Jordan Peele kind of paid homage to. And, and I liked kind of the mirroring that he did with Jaws and this. And, and did it different enough. It didn't feel like it was ripping anything off. It, it just felt like this is like a, a different telling, a different way to tell a similar story. And, uh, you know, a, a classic story, a story uh, for all times sort of situation. And I loved what this movie had to say. Like I said, this movie dealt a lot with spectacle. It starts out with a verse from the Bible, Nahum 3.6. 
I will cast abominable filth upon you, make you vile, make you a spectacle. And that really played into a, a lot of the spectacle obsession that we have in the United States, uh, the spectacle obsession that Hollywood has and the media has, and that we as people have. Stephen Young saw how the spectacle of having a chimpanzee on your sitcom ended tragically, and he did not learn from that as well as other things he didn't learn from. And he has uh, essentially an animal that he is trying to use for a spectacle. And it ends even more tragically for him than the last time. And how we don't learn from these things. We just let things happen over and over again. The same thing, expecting different results. And of course, that we all know is insanity. You have the Haywoods who are looking to get their 15 minutes of fame. And it's all in a righteous hope of trying to keep their family farm alive. But they are are using the spectacle of, of catching a UFO on film. And it ends, you know, luckily these two siblings survive, but it, it ends tragically. Antlers is gone. I believe Angel made it out. But trying to get that Oprah moment, as they said in the movie, there was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that had to be shed to try and get that. You've got the TMZ guy uh, showing up because... Uh, of what happened at Jupiter's claim with with Jupe and, and all the people that were attacked by that UFO. He's showing up looking for his 15 minutes of fame, trying to catch something on film. And it ends tragically for him. And there's all this tragedy in the hopes of feeding the need for spectacle. And I think there's also a bit that, that kind of says something about people who profit off their own tragedy. Uh, Jupe and the character who was the actress from the show that had her lips chewed off by this chimpanzee, uh, both of them were, were essentially trying to profit off their trauma and profit off their tragedy. I think in this day and age, too many people are, are so willing to use their trauma and tragedy and the things that they've gone through is collateral to always be right or never have anybody question what they what they have to say their opinions or, or what they speak about that it just it almost it almost feels icky it almost feels gross that that people would would use what horrible things they've gone through and it's one thing to learn from it. It's one thing to talk about it, try to help other people learn from your tragedy. But there again, like I said, especially uh, in the younger generation, I've noticed this, uh, that you have too many people willing to use their trauma to be irreproachable. You cannot question what they have to say on a particular subject because uh, they experience trauma and that means their opinion on it is always right. And I've never liked the idea that somebody is always right just because of this, that, or the other thing. Uh, nobody's always right. Uh, you can definitely have an opinion on things, but to expect everyone not to question your opinion just because you had this happen to you is, to, to me, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not about that. I'm all about uh, dialogue and questioning things and... Uh, discourse and civil discourse, but discourse. I don't know if Jordan Peele was trying to speak to that, but that's one thing I gathered from this. It was definitely a comment on using your trauma as currency to never be questioned. And there again, like I said earlier, I think this really was a love letter to you know the people, the unsung heroes of 
of Hollywood, the crew members, the cinematographers, the the people behind the scenes, uh, not the actors, not the directors, not the producers, not the ones that get all the credit, but the ones that are kind of forgotten, the crew members that are, are busting their ass every day, setting things up so everyone else looks good, but really are you don't know their names. And I think that kind of ties into another thing Jordan Peele was talking about is is all the black Americans in history, whether it be the black cowboys or the jockey who was riding that horse in the very first motion picture that nobody knows his name. I think it's important that, you know, the people that get marginalized by the machine, the Hollywood machine, and are kind of just chewed up and spit out and nobody knows their name, I think we need to start paying attention. That's why I try. I've been trying to, to stay through credits, not not just to see if there's a PS scene, but just kind of at least peruse through the, you know, everyone that helped make this movie possible. I think, I think it's a, I don't know, I, I just feel like it, it's something that I would hope they would appreciate, that I, that I stayed through the movie to see what they did. I may not remember everybody, but at least seen, seen their names. And then if there's a PS scene at the end of the movie, well, that's, that's just icing on the cake. But all in all, I really loved Nope. It was such a, a fascinating movie, uh, even beyond being a horror film. Uh, or a science fiction thriller, or, or whatever you want to label this as. I've heard other people, you know, say it's not horror, it's science fiction, it's not horror, it's a thriller, whatever, you know, tomato, tomato. But for me, as a horror film, I really love this. It had some legit scares, it had some jump scares, but they worked within the context of the scene. It had a lot of creepiness, and there was a lot going on to make you feel unease. It, it made you feel unnerved a little bit in some regards. And in other regards, it made you kind of sit on the edge of your seat a little bit. And it was so beautifully shot. I mean, some of the scenes were just spectacular. And especially some of the night scenes. They did some really cool things with the night scenes. Sometimes night scenes are just hard to tell what the hell is going on. But they really did an interesting thing with the night scenes that just made them more accessible as a viewer and i could tell more what's going on uh did something with the lighting at night and the filters they used that really helped make the night scenes really captivating and like i said it really didn't get lost in the darkness uh pun intended but a, a beautiful movie to look at uh the tone and tension were all there fantastic actors, uh, a great script, even though there were some things that it, it took me a while to really figure out what Jordan Peele was doing and what he was going for. Uh, it all did kind of make sense once I had some time to digest it and connect the dots. But And like I said, Jordan Peele, fantastic job writing and directing this. So if you get a chance, check out Nope. I'm looking forward to watching it again. It's one of those movies where I, I want to see it again. I want to see it a second time. I want to see it a third time because I'm sure there's a lot of things I missed. And uh, I'm really excited to, at the very least, take this ride again and experience this movie again. So I want to thank everyone for checking out my thoughts on Jordan Peele's latest movie, Nope. Uh, check it out for yourself if you haven't. If you had, uh, hopefully you enjoyed it as much as I did. Please check out for more that's going on with Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on our Facebook page, trailers, uh, sharing articles from all over the internet and of course uh, wherever you listen to this podcast please leave a review five stars would be awesome also subscribe download uh share it all that jazz uh, we certainly do appreciate it so until next time 
Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!